Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. We are discussing the marketing of exchange-traded funds. What are the skills and strengths needed to create a customer base for ETFs? We have Michelle DeWitt and Michael Natal with us for this episode. Welcome both of you to We Talk Careers podcast. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us, Christine. Absolutely. So good to see you both and um, to have you on the show. So, Michelle, before we dig into sort of marketing and all that is in your career, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. So, Michelle DeWitt, um, mother of two wonderful girls, Kayla and Dylan. They certainly keep me on my toes, but also keep me smiling all the time. I'm married to my husband, John, for 17 wonderful years. We live in Rockaway, New York, in Queens, for those who aren't familiar with it. Absolutely love it. I'm currently working at Invesco as head of marketing for the U.S. and EMEA ETF marketing teams specifically. We're located in New York City, and I've been with the firm for just about nine years now. Thank you, Michelle. Michael? I'm Michael Natal. I head up our intermediary distribution efforts at Northern Trust Asset Management. We're based here in Chicago. I've been with the firm for over a decade. Also a parent of two, Michael and Olivia, 13 and nine years old. I'm married for 16 years to my wife, Emily. Quick fun fact about me, uh, the game is no longer in the same shape, but a former professional golfer years ago. Mm. Um, so uh, still try to play a little bit, but um, obviously based in an office and in kind of snowy Chicago, it's it's tough to keep it up. Yes, absolutely. And Michelle, how old are your girls? Nine and 12, both of which are going on, I think, 21 or 25 years old at any, any day of the week. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I have three. I have you guys beat. My youngest is 16. And um, and it is just, it, it's a crazy, wonderful ride. I, you know, teenage time was a little difficult for us, you know, great kids and all that, but the pulling away and the, you know, like I used to get great hugs and they kind of stopped, you know, um, in high school. The, the boy's a little bit, uh, I don't know, he's easier on his mom than I think his sisters were. But anyway, it's, it's such an amazing experience. My husband and I are 26 years. Um, and so wow. like sharing all of that with each other and then looking at my son, our youngest, starting to look at colleges. We're going on a trip soon. And it's like, oh, like, oh, empty nest. Like, it's going to be weird. So um, so enjoy it. I know it, it, it feels like a lot, but I love, Michelle, that you say it, it brings you smiles because it absolutely does for me as well. And Michael, I know as you talk about um, your kids, too, it's just it's such a such a blessing to have families. So. Agreed. Thank you both for joining us today. I was thinking a little bit about this episode as I was driving into the studio today, and I was thinking one of the, my favorite things that I often think about when I think about kind of the craziness of the world is that the farther you are from a problem, the easier sometimes solutions appear, right? You know, because you're like, oh, you should just do this, and the Middle East should just do this, you know, like whatever. It's like super difficult when you get in. And I was thinking about that with sort of defining 
marketing um, and trying to tease it out from all the other things that are marketing for firms. And so I'm excited about both of your takes, which I think are going to be different, um, but also really educational for our listeners. So maybe starting with you, Michelle, a little bit, instead of keeping us at the 60,000 foot, you know, everything has an easy answer. You know, what does your life look like heading up marketing? Sure. So I think what's really critical to start with is what are the client's interests? What are they looking for, right? It's really exciting to start there because that's exactly what drives me as an individual contributor at the firm and what we're going to be able to deliver to them based on what our products are and offerings are. So we're essentially starting with them at what we're going to be focused on. And then from there, that really helps us build out our strategy. So to your point, at a very um, big picture, we have a general sense of what we want to accomplish, what our marketing objectives are, aligning to business objectives, but it starts with the clients at our core. So the nuances are in the details, that's for sure, but we've got excellent marketers that I work with closely day to day, internally within the firm and externally that help us brainstorm ideas to really bring the best of us to the industry and to our clients, which is really exciting for me as a marketer. Yeah. So I was thinking about that when you were talking about the fact that it's it's understanding your pulse point of your customers, like what are they looking for, but also like what haven't they started looking for yet, but where things are going in the industry. So how do you get them ready for things that they don't even know they want yet, right? Sure. I mean, that's that's really exciting, right? To be an innovative provider and a marketer as well, right? And say, put our best foot forward for what clients want, but also what we can offer. So it's exciting to be in a position to be able to do that. That's for sure. Absolutely. And what about you, Michael? Does that resonate with you or do you have a different sort of thought when you think about the marketing of ETFs? Yeah, absolutely. I think Michelle hit something very important is the the feedback and the connectivity to clients. And we have to listen to our clients. Sometimes we want to, for lack of a better term, push ideas to our clients that we feel, you were just hitting on this, that we feel they should be thinking about. But we also want to be listening to them as we partner with marketing. And again, as a somebody who's in a sales leadership position, when those two functions are completely integrated and collaborative, it becomes very good for our client base when they start to work apart, and this doesn't happen very often, but when they work apart, you start to feel fractures in messaging, client feedback, et cetera. So listening to clients to be able to align what we can provide to them to help their clients along their financial journey, that's what drives me and that's what I aim to do. I think on a day-to-day basis, we get caught up in a lot of internal things that we're trying to, you know, to get done. But at the end of the day, it's about helping clients achieve their financial goals. And hopefully we can do that as we partner with marketing and sales. So tell me, Michael, a little bit about who is your client. So are you talking financial advisors? Are they end investors? Are they corporations? Is it everybody? Like, how are you defining who it is that you're talking to? Well, how long do we have? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> outside the walls of Northern Trust, they're financial advisors. Okay. We, we call on the intermediary space, but Northern Trust has a variety of client segments, but I'll just focus on that for my comments. But inside the walls, Michelle and I don't work together, but if she was in this role at Northern Trust, she would be my client. And I'm sure she would feel the same way that I'm her client. Yeah. Uh, but we have a variety of clients inside the walls of Northern Trust as well. And so I, I think when we define our clients that are ultimately going to be served, I usually typically think about outside the walls as financial advisors, but 
there are internal clients that deserve the same amount of care that come from us too, because it is a, a 360 degree effort in order to win. Right. And, and winning is so much competition right now, right? You know, so, and so many interesting ideas coming down and just being able to win that ability to communicate, like finding space and how busy everyone is and how much noise there is. So maybe Michelle, talk to us a little bit about how you are communicating. How are you finding ways to, to actually connect with your client? Sure. So as a marketer, I don't necessarily have direct access to clients, right? I'm not the client facing individual, if you will, much like a salesperson would be. But nonetheless, we're at an arm's length because we have access to clients input through our research teams. We have that access through client conversations with our sales force. And it all does come through this feedback loop, which helps inform our marketing activation strategy. And so um, again, as I'm not directly facing off with clients per se, we do have the access points and always just going out on the road and listening, right? If I attend conferences or do other sort of industry networking events like women in ETFs to name one, I do have opportunities to just hear what others are doing in the space. What are they hearing from their clients? So always keeping your finger on the pulse is critical and there's various ways in which to do that. Hey, Christine, what about you, just Mike? to jump in yeah. here for a second, I think this is a very important point that Michelle brings up. Marketing, our partners in marketing, hearing feedback from sales is powerful, but hearing it directly from our client base, whether that's at a conference, an internal produced event, or even riding along with local salespeople into different segments or channels is even more powerful. So that's something that we try to, to do here. We probably don't do it as much as we should, but that's something we do try to do because I'm sure Michelle will tell you that her engagement with clients will be unbelievably powerful in how that they develop messaging to partner along with that sales effort and vice versa from our perspective too. Great. You know, and if I could just pull that thread, sorry, Christine, just one piece to the Michael mentioned. So a long time ago, I used to be in sales. And so one thing that has always resonated with me is being able to travel with, you know, wholesalers at the time when I was an internal wholesaler and at that time, again, not as a marketer, but sit in front of the client and actually experience what that's like, how the conversation goes, what the client's office looks like. So I just, I can't stress enough how important that is to have that voice, that experience come through the organization and just inform our strategy. It's, it's resonated with me for years at this point. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, with sort of emerging technologies and different ways in which people are communicating, how is that changing just the whole idea of marketing? And, and has it? I mean, over the course of both of your careers, you must have seen a real difference in glossies to, to very different ways of, of communicating. Michael, can you, can you maybe take us on a little bit of a journey of what that's looked like for marketing? Yeah, I mean, I think Michelle and I are in similar parts of our career, but we've been in the business probably for over 20 years. And you know, the days of um, sending out fact sheets as a value add as an internal wholesaler uh, are definitely over. The onset of business intelligence and data and analytics to allow us to be more intelligent and, and more efficient with our outreach, I think has been unbelievably important. And that has also translated in the way that we can segment uh, on the marketing side of things and tailor sales effort and marketing effort to hopefully lift in different places. And so yeah, that has definitely evolved. I was at a conference last week, a really large one, Schwab Impact, and 
Philadelphia. And it was the first time that we had a booth where we did not have any literature. And I mean, not a, not a piece. Everything was either QR codes or we would follow up with you as we scanned badges. And I think, you know, things have definitely evolved in that regard. But I think the business intelligence and data piece is very, very important in how we reach out to clients. Yes. Michelle, are you finding the same? Very much so. I'm laughing as you were describing the fact sheet. I remember a, a booklet of hundreds of fact sheets that would get reproduced every quarter, sometimes every month, which in hindsight is very wasteful, but um, I'm glad we've evolved from that. So very much so. Look, I think it's a digital first mindset that we have to have as marketers and distribution people in this day and age. Um, and it's what our clients come to expect, right? Just be outside of asset management industry, because think about e-commerce, how you're engaging, how you're purchasing things, you know, even engaging with your kids' activities or, you know, any other sort of external uh, resource that you engage with. Everyone is digital first, as opposed to how ways used to be. I'm really excited to see what the future holds, right? I don't know. Of course, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't certainly can't tell what that's going to look like, but I'm really curious to see where we evolve from here. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, what pendulums swing too far sometimes and, you know, and then we settle back in with things. I, I think it's because in the end, you really want people to have messages that are repeatable, right? You know, so like, you know, that you're at Northern Trust, for example, you know what you stand for, and you know how people are communicating. So, Michael, how are you assuring that some of that messaging is consistent? Well, it starts with training. I think that's first. It also starts with collaboration with our internal partners to make sure that we are all aligned. Because I think it's very easy to have a you know, beginning of the year or end of the year training, and we assume that everybody has the messaging. People join the firm at different times. People's skills go up and down. Uh, their engagement goes up and down. And I think it's important to be reinforcing those things because I would love to be able to drop into any place in the country where we have people that are representing our firm and hear the same story over and over again. It's the ideal. It doesn't always occur, but I think it's on people like Michelle and myself, when that is not happening, it's not the people in the field or the people on the desk's fault. It's our fault for not being able to drive that top down. And so to answer your question, I think it starts with training. And I think it starts with the reinforcement of that. I think sometimes we think about training as a one-time event, but training is an ongoing coaching effort. There's the ongoing portion to coaching and the kind of foundational aspect that would happen at a regional or national sales meeting, for example. Does that make sense to you, Michelle? Very much so. I mean, I think we have to all be students of our industry just to ensure that we're keeping up with what's trending, what folks are expecting, what the next best thing could be to help us just do our jobs better. That actually really excites me. I always want to learn. And so to have that challenge and it keeps me highly engaged and I hope others feel similarly because that's the only way we can stay ahead of the curve. And you guys were talking, I mean, early about this idea of being sort of customer driven, customer centric in the way that you're thinking about things. And you said even internally, people are customers. But as you're making decisions around product, decisions on where, for example, you know, certain ETFs are going or, or how you're balancing certain sales strategies, how are you pulling teams together to make those types of decisions? Each of you, are you a little bit more, you know, like get all your research done, come into the meeting, get everyone on the same page, or are you a little bit more collaborative, listening to other people and you help people be successful? Can you take me through a little bit of 
of how that works in your roles for creating these messages? Michelle? Sure. So maybe if it's okay with you, I'll take it from a strategic direction standpoint. So great. I think there is incredible value in diversity of thought and experience and opinion. And so wanting to get folks in a room and understand what collectively we're trying to accomplish, what are our goals? Again, keeping clients at the centers of everything that we do. What are we really out to accomplish? That'll keep us laser focus on the tasks that will enable us to achieve that. And so definitely want to support the team and set them up for success to be able to execute against those initiatives. But if we don't have the initial crystal clear plan in place, then we're set up for failure. So definitely want folks contributing, but we need to have a clear strategic direction to be able to execute in a seamless manner. So that's that's what I would say to that. Yes. Christine, when you mentioned this question, I, I thought about um, you know product development and innovation. That was the first thing that came into my mind. And I think that is a truly collaborative effort across a variety of different segments in our business, right? Product and operations, investment strategy, executive leadership, sales, marketing, et cetera. And I, I, you know, I try to keep this, these things as simple as possible, but I think you, you mentioned having everything ready, but most of the time the industry is moving quicker than that. And if you wait to have every single piece of information buttoned up um, at some point, not at some point, you're going to get passed. Right. So at some point, you're going to have to make the decision on, do I have enough information to be able to move? How much more do I need in order to move? And the best in this business know the mix of those two things. And they they operate really well without every single piece of knowledge. Anybody can make good decisions with every single piece of information and knowledge. But I think the best businesses are able to find the balance between being reckless without the information uh, but also not too slow with the information. So, you know, I try to I try to ask myself of uh, three simple questions when we're when we're trying to launch products. Right? Does it make sense for the firm? Right? That's obvious because we we can't be losing money as we sell products. Right? And does the product make sense for the client? That's the first actual question. And then ultimately, can we market and sell the product? And if those three things typically check off, and you get a variety of those. Uh, inputs from those different segments inside of your business. If those three things check off, you usually have a successful product and an ETF in this example. So when you were talking, when you asked that question, that's the first thing that went in my mind. Hopefully that example uh, is helpful for for your listeners. Absolutely. It really takes me back to, I remember early in my career, I was um, heading up technology strategy for a broker dealer and my CEO brought me in and he's like, he was new and he said, look, Christine, I don't expect perfection. What I do expect is for you to be right more than you're wrong, but don't ever not be wrong. You know, like don't sit for too long where you are so risk adjusted that you don't ever make us move in directions that you need to come back from and say, you know what, we were too early. We didn't account for this, you know, like I'm good with that. And it gave me such freedom to like, you know, be partly there, bring in the right minds, you know, help me and help our teams like figure out where we were going, but not think that we had to have a bow on it before we moved forward. And it really, I I think it was such a gift to me to have, you know, someone senior to me be able to have that kind of um, confidence that I would be able to start pulling together teams that could do that. So um, yeah, thanks for that reminder. Yeah. Michelle, you were nodding too. Does that make sense? Very much so. So as you're you're saying that, I'm 
like just getting pumped up over here, admittedly, it's like, don't fear the pivot, right? So I think we all have to be true to ourselves and recognize that there's always ways to optimize, get better. And sometimes we just don't make the right call, right? We're human beings. It happens. Let's use those as learning opportunities. Don't fear the pivot. Let's pivot and we'll figure out what we learned and go on from there. So I absolutely love that story. Well, and I love that saying. I never used it with my teenagers, but you need to keep that in your back pocket because, you know, giving your teenagers that idea of like, you know, it's all about character. It's all about pulling together as as much as they have. But at some point they may need to pivot, which may be a call to you to come pick them up in some place they shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's don't funny. Don't fear the pivot. Don't don't keep going down that path <laughs> that you know ends badly. <laughs> yeah, and perfection too. I think you know it's funny. I try and tell my kids this, and remind myself of this too. Admittedly, is there's no such thing as perfect, right? It's perfect isn't right. real. So strive for it. Just know it's not attainable. So do what you can to get yourself there, but you know, learn from it. Right. And and super boring if you're going to sit in some sort of idea of perfection that doesn't allow you to move anywhere. So that, that's great. Um, so as we've been talking about, you know, so much of what goes into it, it really comes down to like making good decisions. And Michael, I think you, you laid that out for us. Um, and I appreciate that so much. Can you maybe dive a bit deeper into that as to how you help your teams make good decisions Moving forward, have you learned something that would be helpful to our listeners on that? Yeah, I, I, when I make decisions, I try to be collaborative. That's number one, and get a variety of different viewpoints. But also going back to what you said earlier, not strangling my decision-making process by waiting for perfection. But the other part is, is try to be data-driven. In this day and age, we have plenty of data. It's how do you take that data and ultimately put it into bite-sized uh, information that allows you to make decisions. But the last part, and I think this is the most important, especially for me, is once you make that decision, you need to be convicted in it. But to Shell's point, not so convicted that when everything is telling you that you've made a poor decision, that you can't pivot, right? When we use that as the theme of this, right? Uh, but I think the conviction in decisions is very, very important, especially in a leadership position where people are looking to you to lead. And I, and I truly believe this. I think most people want to be led. There's one chief executive in every firm, right? There's 23,000 employees at Northern Trust, and I think there's uh, close to 80 at Invesco, right? There's one chief executive. Everybody else is being led. So I think most want to be led. So having that conviction and that uh, decision-making process, I think, is a key component of it. Michelle, agree? Absolutely agree. And I just add on one piece. I often do a gut check, right? So absolutely agree. Take in all the information that's pertinent to the decision. I would say weigh the upside and downside, make sure it's aligned to goals. But then the gut check for me specifically is critical. So if we collectively come to a decision or there's an individual that makes the final call, just do one more quick gut check. It could be my husband at dinner who doesn't want to talk about work, but I'm going to ask him anyway. It could be girlfriends of mine or just a trusted colleague or a manager. Just, am I missing something here? Does this sound right to you? Because you never know what you could be missing that someone else can see with, when they're looking from it from a different perspective. Oh, that's great. That's great. I, I also remember joining the last firm that, um, that I was at and I was new. And so coming into decision-making with, you know, senior people and there was a lot of, you know, argument and, you know, great discussion on which way we were going. 
And one of the questions that I asked my manager going into it was, how do we know at what point that I'm on the bus? You know, like, when do I need to be on the bus? And can you help me? Because every firm kind of has their own culture of when that happens. Does that happen in the room? Does it happen after the room? Does it happen before we even get in the room? And all of this is just to vet a decision that's already been made. And it was something I had discovered over my career was understanding when it was that I needed to be on the bus and I didn't want to be late. You know, I didn't want to be chasing. I want to be the dog chasing the bus. Right. Um, but I also didn't want to be on too early where I was like, wait, I've silenced my voice and we hadn't actually made a decision yet. So um, I think cultures that can create that ability to have everyone kind of part of this decision, being led, doing the gut checks, but knowing when it is that you get on the bus and then assuring that you pivot before you go over the cliff, right? You know, so like <laughs> the bus is willing to turn. <laughs> yeah. Christine, we talk a lot about mentors and sponsors, but you know what? I think something that's really benefited me in my career has been finding translators. And what I mean by that is the person or people that are going to translate, to use your example of what the bus is, which direction it's going, and am I actually on it, right? right. And I can thoroughly think of an, an an example of this, of walking out of a meeting and somebody pulling me aside and going, just so you know, the bus is going that way. And I was like, really? Ooh. I thought it was going that way. <laughs> nope. This is what just happened in there. And you missed yeah. it. And I was like, okay, yeah. thank you. Appreciate that. Yes. So I think, you know, having the, and that's probably the same thing as what a mentor does, but those translators of cultural language, to your point, Christine, very important. Very, very important. Yeah. And maybe we've, I've gotten off track a little bit with marketing with what I'm going to say next, but I even feel like those translators are so key in your career and they can be anywhere. You know, they can be folks that are incredible analysts that have been there for a long time and are really good at reading rooms and really good at sort of reading the people that are there. Cause I know I've left meetings where I'm like, Oh, I know what's going on. And then I end up having a, you know, a conversation afterwards. And I was like, how did I miss that? You know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, having those trusted people that you can sort of bounce off, what just happened in that room? Um, so important. I don't know, Michelle, if, if you also have the need for translators um, across marketing. <laughs> I absolutely do on a, a regular basis, actually. And Michael, I've never thought about it that way, but I think it's a great way to summarize it. Um, we just had a team meeting yesterday and I walked out of that meeting to, saying to a colleague and friend of mine for many years at the firm, did I understand this is the way or, and he was like, no, I, I got it this way. And I'm like, wait a second. I don't know if either one of us <laughs> were the right interpreters of what the output was, but it did enable us to go back into that, the, uh, some of the meeting participants and say, did we hear it right? Did we hear it wrong? Just get clarification. So we were all on the same page. So I think it's really important to have that uh, <laughs> translator and never thought about it. I think it's really yeah. smart. Well, I, I love um, our conversation here because I think you've made things really simple to think about, but also your roles are really complex. You know, there's a lot of wisdom that comes with being in the industry for quite some time and knowing where you sit and the importance that your role takes. So my second to the last question, what advice would you have for folks that are looking at your seat and saying, I want it after Michelle or Michael, I want you out and, and I want this in a few years. What should they be pursuing in their own strengths, their own skills to get there? Michael, you want to take that? Sure. First thing is I would be very open and direct about what you want. Not that this is the only way to do it, but I can remember sitting down with my manager at a previous firm and, and just saying, 
not in a threatening way, but I want you to know that I want your job. That's what I want to do. And um, not now, I'm not ready, but I want to state that now. Because what that does is it creates this, this baseline for direction of career without having to be reactive. Okay. Everybody raises their hand when an opportunity, not everybody, but a lot of people will raise their hand when opportunities come up, when the opportunity comes up. And who am I going to think about first? The person that came into my office that day or the person that was like, hey, do you remember our conversation two years ago and in each quarterly meeting? So the first thing I would say is be very open and direct about that. The second thing is I would definitely not think of these roles as specific and narrow. They have multiple viewpoints. So you can be a specialist. And I think some people like to hire specialists, but for the most part, people are looking for collaborative generalists that can span different viewpoints in different parts of the organization. Even though Michelle is tasked with being the the lead in marketing and I'm tasked with the lead in sales and our intermediary channel, trust me, we are in meetings that are on different parts of strategy and focus. And so uh, I think you have to also have to have a wide lens of knowledge so that people don't see you as just pigeonholed as one thing. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. Michelle, what is it for you? What what will um, get somebody into your seat? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think planning ahead, right? You always talk about dress for the job that you want, not the one you have. I think similar thought process there. As far as you can in advance, you know, you hear people talk about the five or 10 year plan. I have no idea what I'm going to do in 10 years, maybe not even five, maybe it's six months, a year, right? Um, But what do you, where do you want to get to if it is a role uh, in ETF marketing? Which firm do you want to be at? What do you want your role to look like? What are certain attributes of the job that align with your values that you're going to want to do that you would be able to thrive in and you're going to enjoy? It sounds a little cheesy, but I even tell my team, I like having fun at work. It's the majority of your working hours. I know some may think it's impossible to have fun at work, but make sure that your values are aligned to the job that you're looking for. You're in a culture and working with people that you want to be surrounded. Don't make any mistake about it. There's That's a little like cushy, if you will, or squishy, but there's real concrete things here that I think are necessary. So being able to collaborate with people, which Michael certainly said, Also making sure that you're organized, you're thinking strategically in this particular role, you're looking at a higher level of strategy. Um, And last but certainly not least, be able to work with people on your team so that you're able to support them and make sure that they're able to execute the strategy that the team has set out. Wonderful. I love what you were both saying, but this idea of being bold and discerning with the people that you tell information to. And I know we've talked on this show about having personal boards of director, and I think Michelle, you sort of hit on it a little bit with sometimes having to make big decisions and going to key people to say, how does this sound? What am I not thinking about? So we've really been a proponent of that on the show because I know I've really benefited from having a group of people that over time weren't just mentors, but like they knew each other and they knew me really well. And when I wanted to, you know, kind of sit down and we had a recent one with, I was on her personal board of directors and she said, you know, I am going to go after this job, you know, and she's amazing. She's so smart and she's totally capable. And that job was so not right for her. And someone else spoke up and she was just like barraging her with questions. You want to do this and you want to do this and you want, and she's like, no, I don't want to do any of those things. And she's like, well, do you know what this job is? And so it was a really cool conversation where, 
you know, had we been other people that didn't know her and didn't know the industry, we wouldn't have been able to kind of push back on that and, and you know, and, and basically say, you are so suited for this. You know, we could kind of reflect back who she was and, you know, that she needed to, you know, set her bar a, a bit higher. Um, but I also love, Michael, what you were saying about saying it to your boss or to someone ahead of you, because that also gives them the opportunity to look at you through a lens where, if they see you showing up a different way than you should be for the role, you get to be kind of coached, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that's great. And and I think, you know, speaking up for yourself, being discerning about where you're going, not beating yourself up if you don't know yet, but <laughs> but being open to, to those roles out there. Thank you both for that. Anything else to add for folks that are looking to jump into marketing? It's it's a fun place to be. It really is, particularly ETF marketing. I mean, the, the intersection of those two items is really fun. And uh, anyone from the ETF world will certainly agree to that <laughs> and attest to that. And and marketing just generally is a fun, innovative place, collaborative environment. I didn't do it till later in my year um, career in the most recent few years, but having a lot of interesting work and fun with the folks I work with. Yeah, I think Michelle's right on that. The, the fund's very important, but I also think the industry is growing tremendously. And so it's always good to be in a in an industry that has tailwinds. That can be very uplifting for not just the firms, but also for the individuals. Oh, well said. Okay, so our last uh, question is always the same. I am a big believer in reading. I think that it can open up worlds and points of empathy that maybe, you know, you didn't even know you didn't have. So I myself am a writer as well as a a reader, so I love building this virtual bookshelf. So anything that either one of you are reading now or have recently read that you'd like to recommend, Michael, anything come to mind? Sure, I'll start. I think our industry and others are fantastic at talking about the what we do. Um, I think we struggle sometimes with why we do it or why somebody else should care why we do it. So one of my favorite books is from Simon Sinek. It's Start With Why. And so uh, I would highly recommend it. There are a million videos out there that he's done, but the book's fantastic about hitting on the why companies do what they do, but ultimately why clients should care about that. Thank you. Absolutely. Sounds fantastic. Michelle? So Michael, right on. I think that's an amazing book. I recently finished it. I actually gave copies to my team and I didn't pick that today. So I have another one that I can also share. Uh, Atomic Habits. I think it's really interesting. It goes into the mechanics of developing a habit or unwinding a bad habit. And so I think this is my second time trying to read it. Uh, It applies across the board, both personally and professionally, but I do think it's a great read. Admittedly, I did it on Audible, (laughs) so I listened to it on my commute to and from the office. And it's also available in other mediums like Um, I think there's some short form on masterclass, things like that, but really interesting from James Clear. Yes, I have read that book and I think someone has recommended it before. And and it's always like a love-hate relationship I have with it because I hate habits. Like I am very much this idea of like, as soon as the train starts going down the track, I'm like, okay, where's my new track? Where's my new train? You know, like I need an airplane this time. So, you know, so the idea of habits where my husband's an architect and he loves, you know, like habits are really important to him because he's so efficient, gets so much done, has time for all the rest of it. Like, so I think he's been such an influence on me with like, okay, whether you know it or not, you have habits. So you might as well make them as efficient as possible. And habit stacking, I think, is really cool too. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to retrain myself. So thank you for that reminder. <laughs> of course. 
Well, thank you both for being on the show. I so appreciate your time and your wisdom and just sharing with all of our listeners your great stories and your great advice. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review. Your ratings and reviews tell Apple that this is a podcast worth listening to. And in turn, your reviews will help We Talk Careers get in front of more listeners looking to succeed, just like you. And while you're there, go ahead and hit that follow button because there's going to be another brand new episode and you don't want to miss it. Until then, keep thriving. Thank you for listening.